Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Let me invite you, if you have a Bible this morning, to turn with me to John chapter 20. John 20, we will be reading the resurrection account as told by John the Evangelist. It's an interesting Easter uh, for pastors and church leaders, for congregation members and people at their homes. As I've talked to some of our own congregation members throughout the week, the sense that I've gotten among many people is that many of us are feeling tired and weighed down by the social distancing and the quarantine. Some of us have some financial concerns with uh, our job situations. Some of us are just anxious and worried about the health concern that's out there. Some of us know family members or friends who have been affected or are currently being affected by COVID-19. And it's an interesting tension that we are faced with today on Easter Sunday, which is normally a day of joy and triumphant celebration. What is Easter like when we embrace it when we encounter it in a time of sadness and grief. And what I want to suggest this morning, and and I hope that we'll see in John 20 together, is that Easter, one of the, the things that Easter teaches us that we learn from the Easter accounts is that, in fact, God does his most transformative work in the dark, at night, among the shadows and in the tombs. If you'll read with me, John 20, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, this is most likely John talking about himself, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, if you've heard me preach this text, you know that I can't help but read and laugh at the detail here given. John, if this is John writing about himself, goes out of his way to make sure that we know that he's faster than Peter. And we'll see, he mentions this at least one more time. There's really nothing that adds to the story beyond the fact that we all know for all of eternity that Peter was a slowpoke and John was faster. Now, I've searched far and wide to try to to see a scholar, a commentator, illustrate why this is in here, what it adds to the story. I've not been able to find it, but this week I did find an early Christian commenting on the text who posited that perhaps the reason that John got to the tomb earlier than Peter was because Peter was married. And I thought, ooh, I don't know about that one. I don't know if I would endorse that interpretation. But we do know Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law in the Gospels. But they run on this foot race to the tomb. The beloved disciple gets there first. Verse 4, both of them were running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, 
and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I want you to notice here the context of Easter, how Easter begins. It begins in darkness and lament. We're told in verse 1 that Mary comes to the tomb early while it is dark. God does some of his most transformative work in the dark, in the shadows, in the tombs. I've never been able to sleep before Easter Sunday since I've been a pastor, and and this Easter is no different. And last night I was thinking about this text at 2 a.m., and then at 3 a.m., and then on a midnight walk with my puppy around the neighborhood at 4 a.m. And what you notice that late at night in the dark is that while so many things are kind of shut down and, and nothing's happening, Things are happening. There is life happening. If you listen closely, you can hear animals moving around. You can hear birds chirping. Things are at work. And in the resurrection story, we're not given an account of the actual resurrection. The, The moment Jesus came back to life, stepped out of these clothes and left the tomb. Instead, we're given a scene where Mary Magdalene, a very faithful and devoted follower of Jesus, comes in the dark with tears in her eyes, traumatized by losing someone she loved and believed in, and finds that Jesus' body is missing. And she doesn't think Jesus has been resurrected. She's now been doubly traumatized. Not only has The one she's loved and followed, been killed in front of her. But now his body's been taken away, stolen, and messed with. What attracts me to this story is that Easter doesn't so much burst onto the scene in John's Gospel as it kind of creeps onto the scene, emerging out of darkness and confusion from death and sadness. That's the tone of this chapter. And that's exactly where we need Easter too. We often read this story and as we keep reading, as Jesus comes to Mary and asks her why she's weeping, we kind of read it ironically, thinking maybe Jesus is patronizing her. I don't think that's the case though. I think Jesus understands why Mary is so sad. I think he understands the darkness and confusion and uncertainty that's happening here. The truth is... And perhaps this is good news to you and I this morning. Easter doesn't happen in brightly lit churches with full choirs, with the sound up. Easter doesn't happen around dinner tables packed with family members and full of delicious food. Easter happens in the emergency room when the doctor comes out to the waiting area and shakes his head. We couldn't save him. Easter happens at the funeral home when that first glimpse of our loved one in the coffin hits us in the chest and we can't breathe. Easter happens on the nursing floor where once strong and healthy human beings 
watch as their peers disappear one by one. Easter happens where death is. That's the only place where resurrection can happen. Karl Barth famously said, only where there are graves are there resurrections. And so perhaps you and I, who, who find ourselves in a moment of fear or anxiety, who can relate to Mary in this place of darkness and uncertainty, perhaps we're actually in just the right place to hear the good news of Jesus' resurrection, to be reminded that He is alive, and to have His resurrection transform us as it transformed His early disciples. We keep reading in verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he had said these things to her. In this passage, you see here the transforming effect that the resurrection has. The risen Christ comes to Mary and comforts her, wipes away her tears. He speaks words about the other disciples that in a moment I'll dive into and try to explain why they are profound as well. You see, the truth is when Jesus resurrects from the grave, when he comes to life again out through the other side of death, everything has changed. God has transformed all of creation. There has been a transformation that has happened on a cosmic scale, on a wide, grand scale, in transformations that are happening on personal and individual scales. We're told in John's Gospel that the tomb is in a garden. And this garden imagery is meant to remind us that John's Gospel is a gospel about creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John's Gospel, it begins, in the beginning was the Word. It's a story about creation, but it's a story about Jesus. And as in the original garden, Adam and Eve are expelled because of their sin. Now in this new garden, with Jesus newly created, resurrected, we find life being given. We find the curses of sin being undone. Where sin brought tears into the world because of Adam's sin, Jesus, the second Adam, now wipes away the tears off of Mary's face. Jesus resurrected on the other side of death is God's first action of new creation. The scriptures say he's the first fruit of all of creation. God's plan is to redeem and make new heaven and earth 
And this has come into our present in the body of Jesus, the resurrected one. The transformation is cosmic, it's grand, and it's also personal and individual. There's perhaps no more tender scene in this resurrection account than the one that occurs between Jesus and Mary. We're told at least four times in the span of four verses about Mary's weeping. And we can understand why she's weeping. None of us usually weep without good reason for it, and she has good reasons. And she doesn't recognize Jesus at first, mistaking him for a gardener, which in John's characteristic way is one of these moments where a character is wrong and right at the same time, because Jesus is, in a way, a gardener coming to create God's new garden. And she, not recognizing him, only recognizes him when she hears Jesus call her name. And hearing her name, she understands. And she's made aware of the truth, the good news, that Jesus is alive once again. And notice the commission, the the vocation Jesus gives to Mary. He says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. There's something profound that's happening just in that one statement. When Jesus calls his disciples, my brothers. I hear in this statement a word of graciousness and forgiveness. These are the people who have deserted Christ not too long ago. This includes Peter who has betrayed him three times. In chapter 15 of John's gospel, Jesus calls him, them his friends, not just servants or disciples. And now he calls them brothers. There's a word of forgiveness here. The relationship has changed because of the resurrection. There's also a word of adoption. And you see this as well when Jesus says, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. The disciples find forgiveness in this affectionate term, brothers, and they also find adoption. This is one of the reasons the Father sent Jesus into the world. And this is one of the most beautiful things that Jesus accomplishes in his resurrection is that in our union with him, he draws us into the very life of God. You and I are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. The intimate and unique and special relationship that Jesus has had with the Father from all of eternity is now made available to you And I, we, through the Holy Spirit and through faith, can come to find the same intimacy with the Father. Get to step into and live into this relationship that Christ has had with His Father for all of eternity. It would be much like a judge who tells an orphan boy who had been caught committing a crime, not only is he acquitted and not guilty, but the judge would like to adopt him. This is... This is the world, the story that we find ourselves in. Our sins forgiven and invited into adoption as sons and daughters. God is doing transformative work. Christ has resurrected. But again, notice the context. Where is this coming? How is this happening? It's happening in the dark, at night, among the shadows, 
and in the tombs. It's important, I think, that we notice this. It's important because otherwise it's easy, I think, for us to get discouraged. For you and I, stressed out because our kids are at home, stressed out, worried about our health or the health of people we love, stressed out because of those we love and not knowing how safe they are are being or are able to be, our loved ones working in the healthcare field or at other essential jobs right now. It's, it's encouraging and important for us to understand that God's still active and He's still present, that our tears can still be wiped away, that we can still hear Jesus call us on Easter, His brothers and sisters, that we can still live the life of God shared with us in Jesus. The good news of John 20 is that Easter still creeps up on us in the dark places, Easter comes for us who, like Mary, find themselves crying their eyes out some days, maybe many days. Still the triumph of God's life is real, and Christ is alive. And it's life, not death, that has the last and best and most glorious word in this world. We can never forget that the gospel good news emerges from the shadows of the real world in which we live. In one sense, nothing has actually changed foundationally about our world than it was one month ago or six months ago. Since we were brought into this world, we've lived in a world that is saturated with death and sin and pain and sorrow. What's changed for many of us, myself included, is our experience of that, how close it's been brought to us. And like Mary, this Easter, we might be in a darker place. We might be full of tears and uncertainty. It's worth noting, I think, that Easter doesn't come. Jesus doesn't burst out of the tomb saying, ta-da, I'm here. But he comes to Mary and says, why are you crying? Let me wipe those tears away. Let me share the good news of my life, which is now shared with you. I think it's important to understand that Jesus sees, or Mary sees Jesus first because she chooses to stay in the darkness. The two other disciples leave and they go home with just rumors of resurrection. But she remains present to what is real, to what's actually happening, even when it's uncomfortable or unbearable. And I find this to be true in my own life. That it's when I sit and I linger in hurtful and painful and barren places where the easy answers don't come to me and provide satisfaction. It's there that I find clarity and hope and healing. And so whatever acclamations we're able to cry out this Easter Sunday, I think they have to begin with a willingness to linger in the garden, desolate and alone, listening for the sounds of our own names spoken in love. God does his most spectacular work of transformation in these dark places in the middle of the night when we can least expect it. 
And you and I, like Mary, might find Jesus calling our names, might find us recognizing the great good news of his resurrection, the hope and comfort and peace that it brings us. And so we might find that our pain and our grief and our sorrow is not erased by the resurrection. It's not run over by the resurrection. It's not undone by the resurrection. It's transformed. It's changed. We're able to embrace joy and life even in the midst of death and sorrow and grief. And so I would invite you this morning to celebrate Easter, to celebrate the good news. And like the disciples in the gospel accounts of the resurrection, this might come quickly to some of us, and for others it might take longer. This might come more strongly to some of us, and for others it might be more difficult to really embrace and experience in this moment that we're in. But whatever hallelujah we're able to offer this morning is welcomed and embraced by our good Father. We go through a season of Lent as Christians, 40 days, where we give things up, we fast, where we think about repentance, where we think about the suffering of Christ. And one of the tragedies in the church is that oftentimes we don't balance this out in Easter. So we have this 40-day period all leading up to Holy Week, and it kind of culminates on Good Friday, Jesus on the cross. And then we get one Sunday, Easter Sunday, and then we kind of move on with the rest of our lives. But in the church calendar, Easter actually has its own 40-day period, Eastertide. And it's meant to balance out Lent, the season of Lent. And so I'd want to invite you this morning to lean into, and, and in whatever ways you can, celebrate Easter. If Lent is a time of giving things up, Easter perhaps is a time of taking things on, of embracing new challenges, of trying new things. And perhaps really going after things that are uncomfortable or out of our comfort zone. You know, we give up things during Lent, whatever it might be for you, chocolate, caffeine, coffee. And we might find it's difficult. We can barely do it for six weeks. And maybe that's the case for something we might take up during Easter. But even just that one small act might open up in our hearts the possibilities of what's new of how we might be transformed, find our hearts reborn because of the love of Christ displayed on the cross and through his resurrection. And so the invitation to us this morning, in whatever dark place we might find ourselves, whatever place of uncertainty, whatever place of weeping, is to listen closely for the voice of Jesus calling our names. It's to lean into the truth that our sins have been forgiven and because of Jesus and his resurrection we have been adopted into God's family and to begin the Easter celebration. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed as the Orthodox Church chants during their Easter services Christ is risen from the grave, trampling down death by death, and upon those in tombs bestowing life. 
This is the celebration, the grand celebration we are called to this morning. And I can think of no better way to begin that celebration than with some food and some drink. And so in a moment, I'd like to invite you to join us as we feast and as we keep the Lord's Supper. We come to the table this morning, especially of all mornings, with gratitude in our hearts, thankful for the forgiveness of our sins that we have received through Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, thankful for the victory over death, which has been given to us because of his resurrection from the grave, and thankful for the promise that one day, by the power of his Holy Spirit, all things will be made new. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat in the upper room with his disciples, and he took the bread, and he broke it and blessed it, saying, This is my body, and as often as you eat of this bread, you remember me. And likewise, Jesus then took the cup, and he said, This cup is filled with my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so as often as you eat and drink, you remember and celebrate the one who gave his life that you might receive life. Would you please now participate with us? Thank you again for joining us on this Easter Sunday. Even through the technological difficulties, um, Christ is worshipped. He is proclaimed. And I hope that you are able to lean in with us this morning in celebrating the good news of Jesus' resurrection. If you want to give online, you can do so. There is a comment down below from the church with directions for that. We appreciate your generous support. If there's any way that we can care for you, if we can pray for you, if we can support you, please let us know. You can go to our website, sweetwaterchristian.org slash care. You can email us. You can email me, mike, at sweetwaterchristian.org or our church at office at sweetwaterchristian.org. There's a number there you can text as well if you have a more urgent prayer request or a need. We're so eager to serve you in this time if you so need. And so if you would, join me now in a closing prayer. Glorious Savior, your disciples were terrified at your appearance. Teach us through those who terrify us and through the fear that arises from our own ignorance and prejudice. Deepen our joy in human life by a greater understanding of the diversity of language and customs and cultures. As we ponder the mystery and wonder of humankind, lift up our hearts with praise for the truth that you became like us and make our deepest longing to be like you. Christ of the empty tomb, 
who in your glorious resurrection appeared to your disciples locked away in fear, come among us and breathe into us your renewing spirit. Where we are locked up by our fears, come and show us your gentle strength. When we are bound by anxiety, come and show us your abundant patience. In the places we are locked behind old hurts, come and help us find the freedom to love again. Make us ready to welcome the peace you bring, ready to extend the forgiveness you share, and ready to go where you send us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a blessed Easter, and we will see you soon. Take care.